You're listening to a podcast from Newstalk ZB. Follow this and our wide range of podcasts now on iHeartRadio. We're in studio with Gareth Abdenor. Hey, Gareth. Hey, guys. Really nice to talk to you, mate. Thanks for being so patient. It was a bit on again and off again this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. we, 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 we weren't sure whether you know we were going to have to, unfortunately, talk more about the flooding just for the poor souls that are having to endure that. So thank you for coming in, mate. No problem at all. And um, my thoughts are with those people up north. Yeah. yeah. Now, quick question on text here. I reckon it's a good one. Uh, Andy says, hi, Gareth. Can my employer use my annual leave to pay me when my truck is in the workshop? <laughs> um, gosh, that's um, that's an interesting one. And um, I think I would need some more information, but it certainly doesn't pass the initial smell test. Uh, yeah. It sounds unusual, and I would be asking for more information on that one. Right. Mm. Okay, another texter says, I currently work a 40-plus-hour a hour week, and I'm paid on an hourly rate. My company wants me to go on call to cover nights and weekends, and have given me a new contract with a slight increase in pay, but doesn't say anything about penalty rates for being on call. Should these be actually written in the contract, and should any overtime rate be 1.5 times the normal hourly rate? Oh, that's a good one. Um, there's quite a bit in that one. Um, I guess the first point is if an employer wants an employee to sign a new employment agreement, it has to be by agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the hint is in the is in the name. Yeah, agreement. You can't force an employee to sign a new employment agreement. So it's a negotiation. Yes, if uh, there is a change in the hours that the employee employer expects the employee to work, uh, there there should be discussion about that, there should be agreement about that, and it should be recorded in the agreement. But no, uh, there's no rule that overtime, and overtime, you know, it really depends on what the hours are defined in the contract, there's no rule that overtime needs to be paid at time and a half. Okay, what about... um, um on call though that's a different thing isn't it and that's a different thing entirely so this is one of those questions that's a bit like an onion there's layer upon layer right um the law provides that if an employee is going to be on call there needs to be compensation for that compensation is not clearly defined so once again that's negotiation negotiation Mm. and reaching agreement yeah Gareth, this is a bit of a gnarly one, which we seem to get quite a lot of. In fact, I'll come back to this text because um, Tyler's just told me Richard's been waiting here for a bit, so we'll take Richard before that text. Hi, Richard. G'day, guys. G'day, Gareth. How are you today on this wet, rainy day? <laughs> well, I'm good, Richard. How can we help? Gareth, I've got an unusual one for you. I sold my business 15 months ago and put under a three-year, yes, you heard right, three-year restraint of trade. Now, that has been troubling me from the day that I sold my business. Um, is three years extremely excessive, and is it enforceable? Ah, that's a great one. And mm. restraints of trade are very topical. There have recently been a few decisions from the employment courts on restraints of trade. And, you know, if you, if you go into a pub... There's, uh, on the one hand, people saying restraints aren't aren't worth the paper they're written on. On the other <laughs> hand, there are people saying you can have restraints for all sorts of things that you can't. Um, 
Your situation is a little bit different from a normal employee-employer situation where restraints are viewed far more restrictively. Where it's a sale of a business, um, the scope of having a restraint is often um, a bit broader than for an employee-employer relationship because the argument is that there's consideration when you sell the business. a lot comes down to the details of exactly what the business is and, mm. and what's in the agreement for sale and purchase of the business. Um, three years is certainly on the longer end of what I would normally see, uh, but it's definitely not unusual to see two years uh, where there's a sale of business. So, um, you know, that's something where you might want to get some specific advice, uh, provide all of the details. and. You know, there there may be some scope there to uh, to change it. Eris, I what was I going to say? Senior moment creeping in. <laughs> I get those too. <laughs> um, it's all I sold was a piece of paper, which, and the people who bought that piece of paper wanted my client base. Yeah. Uh, so that's all that was sold was that piece of paper with a very very strong client base. Mm. And, Yeah, I mean, three years does seem like a very long time. Um, restraints often come down to exactly how they worded. I, I reviewed one the other day that really was poorly worded and and it was going to be very, very difficult to enforce. Um, I think given um, how troubling this is to you and the period of time that it purports to cover, it would be well worth you actually getting some specific advice on that, depending on the wording, depending on the circumstances, exactly what the contract says is being sold. Um, yeah, you you may be able to get out of it, and it would certainly be worth getting some specific advice, so at least you know. Good. Good stuff. Hopefully that helps, Richard. Thank you very much for calling. We're in studio with Gareth Abdnor, who is an employment, workplace and information expert with Taylor Shaw Barristers and Solicitors. Thanks again, Gareth. Um, bulk text coming in here. Let's whip to this one. Gareth, um, how does annual leave and holiday pay work when you resign? Is it the same thing or two different payments? <laughs> this is one of those can of worms that um, leads to a huge amount of confusion. Essentially, there's two types of leave when you resign. There's leave that you've become entitled to, which is leave where you've worked a full 12-month period. And then there's leave that you've accrued in the part year uh, that you're Mm -hmm. currently in. Um, And their formulas set out in the Act as to exactly how those are paid out. Um, People often get really confused by this because payslips sometimes don't separate out the two amounts. Um, But that's essentially how it works. After you've worked in a workplace for 12 months, you become entitled to take leave and then you accrue leave during the next uh, year until Mm. your anniversary clicks over. Now, for 99.9% of people who resign, they will be partway through a year, and so there will be those two types of leave, um, and there's a formula as to how it gets paid out. Very good answer. Okay, another text that says, uh, can my employer use my sick leave when I'm late 
to work. I'm on a 45-hour-a-week contract. I drop my kids off to school twice a week and I'm late to work. So he's been using my sick leave to top up my hours to 45. He's been doing this for a year now and I'm in the negatives in sick leave. Can he do that? No. Well, uh, strictly, sick leave is only to be used if the employee or someone that they care for is sick. sick. Now, what sometimes happens is that employers and employees come to an arrangement where sick leave gets paid when other types of leave are exhausted. It's not strictly correct. Uh, It's in this grey area of trying to make things work. And um, sometimes I see that. Certainly a situation where you're late and it's got nothing to do with sick leave uh, or sickness or caring for uh, a dependent, um, that would be highly unusual and I would struggle to see a way that that's correct. Can you break leave down to hours? Like that's what's (sighs) happening in this situation. That's that's another can of worms, JD, which we might we might not be opening. Okay. Um, most of the the legislation sets out certainly in terms of annual leave that it's uh, days that it's it's weeks. Oh, weeks. Um, okay. Uh, of course, the legislation and payroll programs often uh, don't coincide perfectly, right. um, and so it's not unusual to be to see leave reflected in hours. Um, right. But whether it's uh, strictly correct or not is another story. Okay. Gareth, what is the law, please, in regards, <laughs> to coming, <laughs> in regards to coming back to work after maternity leave? I'm in sales and I have not been given all of my clients back, Ooh. therefore I'm not making as much money. Is Ooh. this wrong? <laughs> is <it> good? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, mm. Essentially, you have a period where your role is protected and you are entitled to come back to uh, the same or substantially similar role. Now, if you come back and all of your clients have been taken away and your pay depends on earning a commission from those clients, for example, you could potentially argue that you've been unfairly disadvantaged Mm. and that would give rise to a personal grievance. Um, As I always say, though, the first thing to do would be raise it with your employer as a concern and see if you can actually come to some sort of arrangement or agreement. Is there a time limit on that? Like normally uh, parental leave is six months, isn't it? So could that apply if if you arrange or agree to make it a seven-month uh, parental leave term? Um, a lot of that's up to negotiation, right. but okay. um, from, from recollection, and I haven't dealt with this for quite a while, you've got uh, 12 months protection so um, oh is it so 12 months so they 12 keep, months, yeah. keep your role that. or substantially similar role for 12 months okay that's that's exactly right because my daughter that. was yeah. in that boat so yeah. yeah hey look can I squeeze in one more question JD I'm going to st- steal your time and Gareth hopefully you can get this in in 90 seconds or I'll less talk fast. I think th- I think this is a great question Gareth my contract clearly and only states I need to work 40 hours between Monday to Friday a week for my salary. I've decided to do four 10-hour days with Friday off. Now my boss disagrees. He says it meant and has to be over five days, but the contract says between, not over four days. It's a goodie. I love it. It's a goodie. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's a high-risk approach. Um, (laughs) Okay. 
on whose behalf? On the employer's or his? On the employee's behalf. Right. I, I think mm. making a unilateral decision like that, mm. um, while they may have a good argument, is unlikely to end well for the relationship. Oh, good advice. Done. Yeah, yeah good advice. <laughs> Simon, there's, like there's you're a, already only work four <laughs> days a week, or so do you, James. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a mutual duty of good faith, which requires both parties to be active, constructive, and communicative. And I don't think that sounds like a very constructive approach. Oh, so many big words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never liked that blah, paragraph blah. with the whole duty of good faith stuff. <laughs> 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 Booyah sucks. Uh, Gareth, we're out of time, but as always, you're brilliant, mate. Thank yeah, you for man. coming in. My pleasure. Gareth Abdenor, employment, workplace and information expert with Taylor Shaw Barristers and Solicitors. For more from News Talk ZB, listen live, on air or online and keep our shows with you wherever you go with our podcasts on iHeartRadio.